scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 15, 1 and 2. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collector and the sinner were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. If you're not at Luke 15 yet, go ahead and turn there, and good morning to you. Jesus is laser-focused on the cross at this point in His ministry and in His life. There's only a few months remaining. We know that it is winter time, uh, and uh, the coming Pentecost is the, uh, the day that the kingdom will be established, the... Uh, the uh, Passover is when he'll be put on the cross. And so he's doing some training. He's intensifying his training. And you know that before he even sets his sights on the lost world, the, the pagans around uh, Jerusalem and Judea and, and the uttermost parts of the earth, you know, he preaches, he preaches to the choir. That's what he's been doing, in fact, most of his ministry, isn't it? He's preaching to the choir, to the church. These are those in chapter 15, still, who are following him, who are part of the Abrahamic covenant. They've come into covenant by birth. They've been born and raised in covenant with God. And Jesus is directing this sermon to this church. God's people under this covenant. He's preaching to the church. And today we are the church in a different generation under a new covenant. And yet this message will forever be to the church. Look at who it is. It's the tax collectors. Those in the church who are so despised for who they are, what they're doing, their work, their, voc their vocation, their dishonesty, their lack of transparency. They're the sinners, a collective term for those who are engaged in all manner of vile things. They're the scribes and the Pharisees. They're the religious leaders of the church. They are the pastors and shepherds of those who are in covenant with God, those who would be God's people and He would be their God. And Jesus said, before we go out with this message into all the world, we've got a lot of things to talk about, church. This church, this body, this local body, the Pickerington Church of Christ, is equipping itself. We are preparing ourselves to go with focus and with energy into the community around us and into the world. We are preparing to do that right now. We are, we are calling for your engagement as we improve our practice, as we hone in on our, on our gifts and abilities, as we unify under this one God with His one mission to save the world through Jesus Christ. However, he uses this term lost 
to describe some within that body. It's the scariest word. It just has to be about the scariest word in the English language to, to be lost. Well, you think, well, not, not really. Well, this lost from the Greek that's translated into English lost is the, the, uh, the word apolemy, which signifies to be cut off entirely, to be destroyed, to cause to be lost by experiencing a miserable end. That's what Jesus means by lost when he starts talking about these parables of those within the fellowship that are lost. This is the same word that is used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whoever believes him in him should not perish, Apollome, be cut off forever to a miserable end, but should be saved. This is the same word as in John 10, verse 10, when he said, I'm the good shepherd, but thieves break in to destroy. That's the word, to kill, to steal, to destroy, to cause to be lost some who are in the flock in a miserable end. It's the same word that's used in 2 Peter 3, 9 and in 89 other New Testament passages. Ones that are common to you. It's the same word where Peter said, God does not desire that any should perish or be lost or be destroyed to a miserable end, but that all should come to repentance. This is the same word. And he turns to his disciples and he preaches this sermon. The whole chapter in three parables. Now, this is especially important to me. And if you'll indulge me, I can't think of a better example of being lost and found than Matt Thomas. If you'll just indulge me, I'll use myself as the example today. Because I was lost twice. And I was found twice. And I don't intend to be lost again. But let me tell you how it happened. I was lost first in the world. I was lost to the world. I had learned in my adolescent years the language of Ashdod, how to sacrifice to the Baals, and how to sit in the assemblies of Jehovah in worship. I had that down to an art form. So I thought, until I came to the time where it was time for me to, to go off to college, and the preacher told me, be careful, Matt, not to break your teeth on any beer bottle caps. When I was 14, though, in that process of weighing all these things out, I had a time when I, I sensed a deep respect and loyalty to Jesus. And on February 11th, 1984, I obeyed the gospel. I obeyed the gospel. And I felt clean. I felt washed. I felt like I had been found. But it was, but it just didn't last. I realized the problem was, even though I had tasted grace, and I knew I had done the right thing, I was still living under law. See, to me, Jesus, Christianity, the church, was about keeping the rules. You know what I mean. 
do this, don't do that? Is this sin as bad as that sin? Is God angry with me today? Again, still, if I die right now, am I saved or lost? I was still living under law. I didn't know. I had not yet been taught what Paul said when he said, you're not under law, but under grace, Romans 6.13. The law is not supposed to be our master. Christ is. I didn't know Romans 3.20. By the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, including walking up a set of steps, not unlike these, and getting into a body of water. That by my own efforts in doing so, that I would, I would be saved. This would fix it. You see, I was doing right religiously. I was, I was actually listening for a change and following along in that guidance, but I had not yet learned to live under grace, which came in its fullness through the person and the work, the life and the death of Jesus Christ. So I was never good enough. I was never pleasing to God. I, I always thought He was angry with me. Probably was. I deserted Him daily. Reading my Bible actually made me feel bad. Prayers were the same prayers because I needed the same forgiveness for the same sins as I tried to repent of them over and over by my own power. Prayer life was, was vanity. The law is a cruel taskmaster, church. The law is a cruel taskmaster, but it's not supposed to be our master. It's supposed to bring us to Christ. Law was just doing what it's meant to do, and that is to point out good and evil. But it can't cleanse from the sin. It so clearly points out it. It in its very nature actually points to Christ. You see, there are the do's and the don'ts, right? There is the guidance. There is the clarification on what God's will is for me in my life. But in the law, there's no remission of sins. That, that can only be found in the one to whom the law was pointing toward all through the centuries, through the Old Testament, and still today, under the law of Christ. It points to Him. So I felt distant from God, and at the same time I felt rejected, and the world seemed very receptive again. And it wasn't long before I fell head back, headlong back into the world. But this time, I was in the church. I hadn't lost my sonship status. I'm still a son. Born of the Spirit into the family of God. But I was lost. I forsook my inheritance. And I went headlong back into the world. And when I went off to college, it wasn't very long before I started feeling the effects of being lost. Let me tell you, the law is a cruel taskmaster. Here's another cruel taskmaster, Satan. The way of the sinner is hard, Solomon said. It's hard. 
You're still going to obey someone or something if you leave God. That taskmaster is a liar, and he makes promises that he can't keep. And so at the end of that freshman year of college, I remember sitting in 404 Crawford Hall and looking out the window and thinking to myself, I just wasted a year of my life. Now, if I just continue down this path, you know the definition of insanity, right? If I just continue down this path, like, what am I going to look like when I'm 25? What's my life going to look like when I'm 30? Is this what it's going to be when I'm 40? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Empty. And so that summer, I went home, and there was, it was a whirlwind, and I, I, I felt the guilt, the shame was weighing on me. I, I didn't make any real changes, but I said, when I come back to this place for my second year of college, there's got to be some changes that take place. Well, a month flew by of September until a great occasion came along for me to repent. Mom's weekend. Mom was going to make a visit. I said, well, I better find a church quick. <laughs> I better find a church quick. And, and, and this, is, this is going to be my impetus to, to get going here and make some changes. And I made my way up to the hill called Blackburn Hill. And with my mom by my side, we walked in the door. And I, I, I took those first steps of, of coming back to this fold. It wasn't easy. The first person who greeted me looked at me, stuck out his hand, and said, I'm Nelson Kidder. What's your name? I could feel my mother glare right through my empty soul, man. I mean, just, <laughs> just, just a quick glance confirmed it. It's like, I had her snowballed too. Had her snowballed. But I wasn't there for mom this time. I was there for me. I was found again. And I don't know the exact order of it. I don't know if the process began when I sat staring out the uh, dorm room window of my freshman year. I, I don't know if it was when I came into the, the fold, that worship assembly, and was received. I don't know if it was when Dave Keim cornered me in the back of the auditorium after a couple weeks of that, smelled my breath, and said, you can't have it both ways, you know. And your Monica Thomases held my feet to the fire. I thought you made a commitment. I don't know exactly how it played out, but I was led to Christ. I was found again. And I could have sat for years, maybe even right in this assembly, working somewhere in this area, lost as lost could be, right next to you. I could be sitting right next to you. As far away from God as you can possibly get, while sitting right in the presence of His saints. Well, I had had enough of that. I, 
It's reminiscent of Peter when Peter said in his first letter in chapter 4, enough. Enough. I've had enough of this past lifestyle, doing the will of the Gentiles, engaged in revelry and drinking parties and in lewdness and lust. So that's Peter. That's me. You know? I've had enough. It was a lot like a lot like Luke 15, 3 through 10, church. Jesus sat down with these sinners and he ate with them, had fellowship with them, and he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels, in the angels of God over one sinner who repents. These parables reveal a couple ways that somebody can be lost in the church. The first one is the sheep who wanders off. A sheep can wander off, can lose sight of the cross, can lose focus, can allow their priorities to become mumbo-jumbled, and walk off. The other one is through the carelessness of somebody else. The woman lost her coin. She misplaced it. Didn't know where it was. Recklessness. One is the sheep. The other one is someone who should have been familiar with the sheep and where the sheep was. You know, in most cases, I think being lost in the church is a combination of both of those. But in every case, in every case, success in bringing one back is the combination of all of those parties. Of God who seeks worshipers to worship Him in spirit and truth. Of saints who understand that the greatest service they can render to God is to take His message to some other dear soul that He loves. Shepherds, elders, who will know the state of their flock and be able to, to help feed them, lead them to water, and know the state of their souls. But a sheep can still just walk off. The one thing I still needed closure on, though, even though I had found those things in families like the Kidders and the Joneses and the Burroughs who had received me in without harsh judgment, but held my feet to the fire in accountability. But I was received again with the people, with the saints. I felt wonderful. But you know what was going on in my mind? God's still mad at me. Does He have any confidence in me at all? 
I sinned yesterday or today. Is this the same process going over and over again? Is this vain? I needed some closure. Do you know what I mean? I needed some closure. I needed to know that I was loved still. Now, I was lost twice. I was found twice. But you know through the reading of this parable, the parable of the lost sons, I realized I was loved once, unconditionally, indefinitely, and that He had never gave up on me. That's what I learned. He said, a certain man had two sons, verse 11, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods which the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Empty promises. <laughs> but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was a different story. But Jesus answered this question that I had. He had never given up on me. The father, uh, though betrayed... Though certainly angry, maybe grieved in his spirit, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief, and my heart is touched with his grief too. But here is the difference between being religiously active and relationally accepted. Let me repeat that for you. Here's the difference between being religiously active and relationally accepted by your Heavenly Father. The grace of God and the doctrinal truth of Luke 15 set me free. It's a doctrinal truth, foundational stone that Christ receiveth sinful men. Good choice, Rod. And unlike the brother in Luke 15, I'm glad to say that my brother joined me at the table and that there was rejoicing 
with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus brought grace and truth through His life and death. And the church held me to the task of living the worthy life that I was given, held to a high standard in honor of the one who died for me and never quit on me. I'm happy to serve Him. Happy to do that. Church, don't let me be lost again. Don't ever let me be lost again. And I'm going to promise to you I'll do everything I can to make sure that you're not lost again, but the Lord and Savior is talking here to the church. And so to the church, the reason I shared my story with you today is because I want you to know I was in the church and lost, as lost as could be, as lost as I was before I was baptized into Christ and realized I was a sinner, deliberately rebelling and rejecting God. You see, there's a couple other ways to be lost. One is just through rebellion. This younger son. And for sake of time, we didn't read it, but read on the rest of that chapter about the older son who was lost in his self-righteousness. There's four ways today you can be lost in the church. There's four ways. You can wander. You can be hurt or neglected by someone else. You can be rebellious and just march off. Or you can be self-righteous and think, I'm not lost. You can be one who says, I see, but you're blind spiritually, like Jesus told the Pharisees they were. You'll probably be offended by that if someone other than you suggests that to you. But you lie to yourself more than anybody else, and that's why we need the church to come in here, and as Anthony said this morning, rub out the edges to allow each other to sharpen each other up in the Lord, to stir one another up to love and good works. But what's it matter whose fault it is? What, what does it matter if I wandered off apathetically, if I stomped off, if I pointed at someone who hurt my feelings, or if I thought I was the greatest Christian in the room? What's it matter? I'm lost. Who cares? Andy, it's nobody's fault but my own. It's my own if... I stand before Christ in the judgment day and I try to point at you or you or you or somebody that hurt me. Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm teaching the church how they can be lost here so they don't become lost. And so I share this with you to, to empathize. If you are one who says, I feel like I'm in the body and I'm lost, you might be. Don't play that down. Don't misuse grace to smear it over any one of those four ways that we just learned you can be lost. But turn to grace. Turn to the unconditional love that's offered by God through Jesus Christ and live in relationship to Him where you openly confess your sin as this younger son did to his father. I've sinned. I just want to be a hired servant. And He will put a robe on you. He will put sandals on your dirty feet from wherever you've been. And He'll call you to the dinner table and give you the best place. That's just the way He is. You need to know that. You need to not miss out on that church. Just who are you going to believe? 
This, this man received sinners. What was meant to be a scalding accusation, this man received sinners and eats with them, is Jesus' mission statement. Can you believe it? How far off they were? You received sinners. Who are you going to believe? Satan? You're not good enough? You're not worthy? There's nothing you can do now. He'll never forgive you. Are you going to believe Him or are you going to believe Jesus Christ? I think you're here this morning because you want to believe Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you that if you believe He's the Son of God, then this is a true statement. He receives sinners. Alien sinners who have never known Him and those who have been right at His table and have gone off astray. He'll receive you back. And if you're in either one of those two positions, you need to make it right before you leave this building today. And we're prepared to do that. Let's stand and sing this song.